belong, become, believe. You're listening to Grace Church of Northwest Arkansas podcast. The message for September 10th, 2023 is called Known, Vision Bearing Witness. The speaker is John Ray and the location is Clap Auditorium, Mount Sequoia in Fayetteville, Arkansas. Again, good morning. My name is John Ray. If you're joining us on the live stream or listening to the podcast, we're really glad that you're here with us this morning. With the exception of Matthew 28, 18, which is the go into all the world verse, probably no other verse has been used for missions than Acts 1, 6 through 8. And this is the one that says, that talks about being witnesses. Witnesses first in Jerusalem and then in Judea and Samaria and into all the world. And over the years, I've heard countless sermons, probably taught countless sermons as well, uh, endured endless appeals, been taught in-depth strategies that all use this verse. Specifically, the witness part and the strategy of moving from Jerusalem outward in concentric circles into the ends of the earth. I, uh, I think very differently about this now. Differently than the way that I was taught and differently than the way that I taught over the years. Especially about the witness part. What does that word mean anyway? Does it mean setting up our signs with tracks to hand out as we stand along the greenway? Does it mean going door to door to engage people in spiritual conversations? Does it mean creating a large and energetic youth ministry that kids are comfortable inviting their friends and classmates to? Post getting gospel-themed memes and articles on our socials? And if not those things, what does it mean? Well, it has a lot to do with what our vision as a church is. For those of you who are just joining or visiting or haven't been tracking with us, we're going through a curriculum that uh, that Dr. Laura Holland had developed called Known, and it's a way of getting to know each other, know our, our own stories, know the stories of other people, and then know our story as a church. And this Sunday, we're looking at vision. We talked about mission. Betty did an excellent job last week talking about the mission of the church. But what's the vision behind that? What is, what is the big picture reason we're doing it? Well, if you look on our webpage and if you look in our documents, it says that our church vision is to be a Jesus-led, spirit-filled, and God-formed church committed to growing in grace to reach our community and beyond for Christ. Solid. I've got no argument with that. There's a lot of ways you could look at that. There's a lot of different ways you could interpret that, but it's a good starting point for who we are. I think it adequately represents us. But it takes a lot to understand that. How do we do this? What, like, how do we actually become that church? What's our vision for formation, for living into that? Well, David Fitch, the theologian, he writes that, The church is a community of practices that join people together in their submission to Jesus as Lord. 
practices or exercises people do together that work in some way to achieve a common purpose. And this is, this is really important for us to understand because I think what it does is this recenters the action and practices to our vision away from the centering of just ideas. Look, I like a good idea as much as anybody else. As a matter of fact, I live a lot in my head just in the world of ideas. I talk about ideas. I read about ideas. I have bookshelves full of ideas. Ideas are awesome. But when we center just an idea in our understanding of church and our vision of what the church is, an idea usually um, condensed into a doctrinal statement with that. I believe we're putting something at the center of our vision that shouldn't be there. Now don't get me wrong, it's important to have it. Just don't think it needs to be the center. I think the center has to be this, what Fitch is talking about, are the communal practices. The things that we're actually doing as a community. Because I asked the question a little bit ago about what is a what does witness even mean? Witness is not as we were, well, I say we, I want to be careful here, as I was taught. As I was taught growing up, Witness was, was arguing with someone, was trying to persuade someone to come to see something from your point of view with that, to get them to a mental assent to something. And as I've, as I've grown older and as I've watched, what I've really seen is a lot of people say a lot of things. And there's a lot of people out there that can talk a good talk. There's a lot of people out there that can win an argument. But y'all, that, that's not their witness. Their witness is what they do. Their witness is who they are. And their witness is what they've committed, what they prioritize, what they're practicing. And so, as, like I said, I went back and I was rereading this verse in Acts and I was thinking about our vision. I was like, it is our, our witness is our practice. And the strategy of that is you can do that wherever you are. That we're called to do that regardless if we're in Jerusalem or Samaria or Judea or the ends of the earth. Like, like this, this thing that we have in Jesus, this, this understanding, this gospel message of the goodness of the kingdom of God being available is something that goes everywhere. It's not dependent on geographic location or circumstance. We can do that anywhere. But y'all, this takes practice. When, when we look at the history of the church, something that I love to study, and oftentimes if I'm teaching a class or doing something, I'll, I'll, I'll ask, you know, is the, is the Bible important to your practice of following Jesus? Is it essential to being a Christian? Having a Bible. And most students and most people would say, absolutely. By having a Bible is essential to being a Christian. I'd say, well, there would be no early church if that was true. Do you realize that all of the early Christians, none of them had a Bible? People start to get kind of uneasy here, like, okay, John's talking against, not talking against the Bible, 
I'm just saying that our idea, our modern idea of, of church, our vision of church, is so formed around just what we've experienced in our modern American culture. This bibliocentric, idea-centered, mental, the dichotomy that, that separates kind of your being from your thinking, which is Gnostic thought or Greek thought, that, that it's, it makes us uncomfortable when we think about the early church that was basically a church based around practices. It was based around coming together and breaking bread. It was based around coming around and taking care of the poor and the widows and the orphans among them. It was based, it was based around practices. And yes, they were telling a story. It's not like they didn't have Jesus. It's not like they didn't have the Word of God. They were repeating it. They were memorizing it. They were sharing it, but it was very different ways than we, any of us have experienced for the most part. And so you have this, this church that we've inherited that we've kind of formed in our image. We, we've formed it in our image, not necessarily how it was. And it helps remind us when we think about our vision of the church of how it did start. It started with a group of people who had an experience with Jesus and then went on to create practices in their life that enhanced that experience, that went from that experience and said, okay, we've, this is what we've seen in Jesus. This is what we've experienced from God. Now, how do we conform our lives where that becomes the ultimate reality? Where our lives, what we do, bears witness to that experience. That's a very different vision for a church than our modern American industrial church complex with that. But it takes practice because, y'all, that's not the way we've practiced. That's not the way I grew up practicing it. it you know, I, there, was such, there was such a dividing wall between church and missions. You know, and, and for Jane and I to have been involved in missions for all those years, we, we did it. I'm not, I'm not throwing stones at anybody. We did it. We practiced it. But the idea that we were taught was that your witness, if you were really a good witness, you went away on the mission field and you did these things, right? Or you were an evangelist and you went out on the street or you went door to door and you did these things. And listen, I'm not saying any of that is wrong by any means. I'm just saying that the witness that I think is being, that we are called to give, to bear, you can't separate it out. You can't go be a witness and then come home and not be a witness. You are a witness. We are a witness. It is what we do all the time, wherever we are with that. And sometimes we do it in this building, and sometimes we do it in different places. And sometimes we do it in the school, in the classroom, in the business, in a different place. But we're always doing that with that. And this takes a monumental shift away from most of us, from the way most of us think about and practice church. The shift away from the church, thinking the church is a building or a group of people who all believe the same thing, to something that we are and we are becoming. Also the shift away from our individual interpretation towards a communal dependence. 
Now that right there is supremely offensive to our American cult of individual expression, of having our own truth, of understanding that, hey, we need each other. Y'all, I can't get this right by myself. I'm not smart enough. I'm not good enough. I can't do it. And I'm not being self-deprecating here. I'm just stating reality is I can't do this without y'all. None of us can. And we've got this weird thing that we do in, in America, and we don't just do it in the church, we do it in all kinds of things, is we invest all our hopes in like a singular person, athlete, politician, actor, business leader, somebody. We, we invest all our hope in that. And then when they ultimately fail, because they will, when they ultimately disappoint us because they have to, then we just, we totally dismiss them. And that's evidence of this, of this misunderstanding, this, this tragic misunderstanding of our need to be in community, that we all have strengths and we all have weaknesses. And we are called to do this together. But like I said, this takes imagination and it takes sacrifice. It takes understanding that, yes, I need something from other people, but they also need something from me. Something that may be uncomfortable for me to give at times. Something that may be challenging for me to give at times. Something that I may not even really feel competent or qualified to give, but you know what? I'm the one that's put in the position to give it. So I need to do it. And that takes practice to do that. And along with that, change itself is always challenging. We don't change without effort, and we don't change without there being some kind of compromise, some kind of trade-off. You're, you're not the person you used to be when you become the person that you are becoming. Yeah, that person's still in you, but you're not that anymore. Um, I'll talk about this a little bit later, but Jane and I were just in Austin, um, and I happened to run into a number of people that I haven't seen in four decades, high school classmates, families of people. And, and it was this conflict of emotions of, it's so good to see these people, and there's so much water under the bridge. <laughs> we, we are such different people now. And that was challenging. That change was challenging. Part of me, part of me grieved the person that I was that I am no longer with that. But like I said, it's challenging. Change is. And this is a, a, and a major reason is we want simple, static answers or doctrines to abide by. We want simple, static answers to respond to every situation. But our demand for simple answers and solutions to complex and dynamic challenges does not oblige God to grant us those. God is under no obligation to give us simple, static answers, no matter how badly we may want them. And we've talked a lot about this as, as a church. You know, the Western model of learning is to hear, 
something to understand it, take the time to understand it, and then do it, maybe. Uh, that's, that's, the way, that's the way we we are trained in our Western culture. Here's something, somebody asks you to do something, gives you information, and then you seek to understand it, and then you're going to act on it, maybe, if it's convenient, if you want to, if whatever. Whereas the, the traditional model of learning, this definitely true in, in the time of Jesus, was the model of understanding was, hear something, do it, practice it, and then understand it. Maybe. The understanding was never guaranteed. But, but the, the implication and the assumption was, you're never going to know something unless you do it. You have to practice it with that. Dietrich Bonhoeffer riffed on this a little bit when he said, only the obedient believe. He said, if we are to believe, we must obey a concrete command. And you know Bonhoeffer, ruffling feathers all the time. And then we get Richard Rohr, who's famous for saying, you cannot think your way into a new way of living. You have to live your way into a new way of thinking. And all of those things are reflective of this idea is that we have to practice things. Like that's what we are as a church. Our vision for a church is that we will come together and try things. We will come together and practice things. We will come together and do things. You may think vastly different things about things we talk about. I mean, my gosh, just the songs we sang. How many different interpretations of the theology of the songs that we sang today could there be? I was, at, this is just one of the occupational hazards of being an amateur theologian, right? Is that I was thinking of all the different atonement theories and how you could look at them attached to the words we sang. That could be all over the board here. And that is okay. That's okay. If we're coming together around a common set of practices with that, that we're learning together in this. You know, Jennifer brought up in our uh, meeting this week how we have to really approach this whole vision with humility. Without humility, none of this works. Understanding that as much as we like to think we're innovative, man, we're out there trying new stuff. We're not trying anything that hadn't already been done. There is nothing we will do in this church that somebody somewhere hasn't already practiced. It is impossible for us to do something novel. Now, it may be novel to us, maybe new to us. That's great. That's what makes it fresh and exciting. Maybe new to our community. But it's been done before, y'all. There's, there's nothing we're going to do that hasn't been done before. This has been going on for centuries. We're just continuing on in something much larger. Doing this is challenging and it, it takes practice, but it also takes a specific mindset. It takes rejecting the consumer, individual, transactional mindset and replacing it with a communal, giving and receiving mindset. It takes rejecting the scarcity mindset. It says there's only just so much. And if it takes away from, if I, if I give it, I'm, I'm depleted. If somebody else gets something, it's taken away from me. And instead replaces it with the abundance mindset. The mindset that God's grace is always exponentially building with us as we bring our gifts, talents, practices together. There's always something more there. 
giving and receiving are not mutually exclusive. Like the communion table is never diminished after we're done. Nobody gets up here and serves communion and then walks out of church going, oh, I'm done. Just took so much out of me. I don't think. Maybe. I've never had that experience. Like, we're just, we're just so programmed. The world is constantly telling, telling us if somebody gets something, it takes away from you. If somebody else has it, that's not the kingdom mindset with this. We have a poverty of being able to imagine a redemptive, regenerative suffering, giving and receiving this unearned abundance. We just need to learn how to imagine it, and it goes hand in hand with our practices. Betty brought up just um, the help. She said it's helpful to frame this in a way that takes it away from the paternalistic transactional model to one that's mutually transformational. I love that. It's mutually transformational. And she she included this quote by, is it Lila Watson? Lila Watson, who said, if you come here to help me, you are wasting your time, but if you come here because your liberation is bound up with mine, then let's work together. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine practicing with a group of people where you said, my liberation is bound up with yours? I have things I can't do that you have that I need. But I also understand that I'm not coming here necessarily in poverty because I have something to give to you that you need. And that thing that I may give you is actually, I feel it as a need. I feel it as a weakness. I feel it as a lack. But I can honestly bring that here without fear that I'm going to be treated as less than. I'm the needy one, and these guys are the saviors. I mean, we got to break. Listen, there's one savior in this church, and it ain't me, and it ain't you, and it ain't us. We all come here with some kind of need with God. And we say that every every week when we transition to our offering, right? We do that as a practice that it's it's a practice of saying, nobody here is without something to give. And nobody is here without something to receive. None of us come here without a need. We are bound to one another. One person cannot flourish without the other. So the reason that I was in Austin this week um, was for the funeral of a lifelong friend who died by suicide. And it was tragic. It hit like a bombshell in the community that I grew up in because he was the son of the pastor of the church that I grew up in. His pastor's kid. Who had gone on to, to just become a pillar in the community. He became very successful. He was super outgoing. He was always giving. He was involved in countless things. He'd done countless good things. And it came as such a shock. And immediately, immediately, this whole group of people that, I, that, that knew him and that I was connected to were asking, why? Why would he do this? Why would somebody do that? And listen, we won't know. I'm not here to tell you why. 
except for this. When a person gets to the point where they feel like that is the best option for them in their family, there is a poverty of community around that. I'm not saying it's the thing. I'm just saying it's a thing that I've seen time and time again. There's a poverty of community around that of people who are practicing the kind of selfless, self-giving, open giving and receiving that is our vision for a church. Our vision for a church is that we are the kind of people that practice the kind of following Jesus, the practices that lead us to follow Jesus in such a way that no one would ever feel like their very presence that, that the people would be better off without them. That somehow their community, their family, the world would be better off without them. No, it's not. It's not. I'm going to ask Jeff and the team to come up. Um, you know, I quoted Father Richard Rohr earlier saying that you cannot think your way into a new way of living. You have to live your way into a new way of thinking. This is why we start here at Grace with the practice of radical hospitality that hopefully leads to belonging. This practice helps form us into the people we are to become. These practices and images of who we are to be formed by and they, they form and inform our confession of what we believe. Because our witness is what we do. And our vision is to be witnesses of Jesus. Here, Jerusalem, Samaria, the ends of the earth, yes. But everywhere we go, no matter what we're doing, our vision of the church is to be that kind of witness. That people look at how we behave, what we do, what our practices are, and they see Jesus. We're going to transition to our communion table. If you've not been here before, our table is open to everyone. It is the practice that we do signifying that we, we are the ones being served. Grace Church is not the gatekeeper for this table. Jesus is, and Jesus said, y'all come. Jesus said, whosoever will come. Take this today with a renewed understanding of your value, your wantedness, your belongingness here. And that our witness is in comes from this practice of receiving what has been done for us. Thanks for being here. Thank you for listening to Grace Church of Northwest Arkansas podcast. If you would like to give, you can go to gracechurchnwa.org forward slash give. You can find more about us online at gracechurchnwa.org. Grace and peace.